Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Justin, don't you love having a clean set of balls? Do we mean footballs? No, I mean my testicles. Justin, when I used to trim little Ryan, it was a risky job. My shaver would often cut me, and so the whole experience was rather unpleasant. Is it similar for you? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's usually quite uncomfortable. Well, it doesn't have to be this way, because Manscaped have now launched in the UK. They are the ball shaving specialists. I've had a go on one of their trimmers, and it is a dream. It's designed specifically with your balls in mind. That means less accidents and a much smoother shave. Also, it's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower, and it's got an LED light, so you can see what you're doing. Justin, let me tell you, it's a life changer. That sounds amazing. Where can I get one? I'm glad you asked. Go to manscaped.com, and because you're a listener of this superb podcast, you can get 20% off plus free shipping if you use the code SECONDTIER. That's one word. So that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com, and use the code SECONDTIER. Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Tier System to my circuit breaker it's just impeach good afternoon justin you played your first competitive football match in 11 months earlier how did it go i played six minutes six touched minutes three times <laughs> was it a triumphant return to competitive football it felt like it and it went better than someone else's return to football this week yeah well, we'll, so. we'll talk about that a bit later on <laughs> get ahead of yourself but i'm glad you're back playing competitive football did it feel good to be back out there it did, you know, stretching the legs, mm. being part of the team again, trying to get rid of this gut. Well, that could take a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined on the show today by Rich Ferraro from Forest Ramble. Rich, are you well? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Uh, getting a win under your belt always helps. Uh, definitely, definitely. And from the Barnsley podcast, Red Report, it's Carlo van der Waltering. How's it going? Uh, yeah, I'm, we're still waiting for that first win, but otherwise we'll be all right. <laughs> good, good. Uh, well, before we get started, just a bit of admin. The transfer window closed on Friday and there was a lot of business that happened. So instead of talking about it later in the news part of the show, we're going to do a separate episode. It's just a quick rundown of all the business from the past week. That's been released on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. We'll undoubtedly have to talk about some of the transfer news in this episode and we'll ask our guests about a bit of it as well. So we'll start off with you, Rich, if you don't mind. Blackburn nil. Forest won. Chris Hutton's first game in charge. A great way to kick things off with the first win of the season. Yeah, I mean, uh, we knew what we were getting with Hutton, which is a very nice thing to have, basically, because we knew that we'd lost the solidity that we'd previously had. Um, Sabri Lamushi had built the successful part of last season around looking solid and 
not necessarily just the back four, but also in the midfield. And it looks as though Hewton is trying to tap back into that. Um, and admittedly, Blackburn weren't at their best, but you can only play what's in front of you, I guess. Yeah, I thought it was a very good performance from Forrest. And sure, you won from a deflected shot, but you completely shut Blackburn down and was superb going forwards. Yeah, it was nice to have 16 efforts on goal, which is uh, in stark contrast to the first few matches of this season, um, where basically we barely crossed the halfway line. Um, and also we saw, again, some of the other things that I think Sabri kind of wanted to do, but Hewton is maybe able to tap into a little bit better, especially in those last uh, 15 minutes when it was Amiobi and Lolly that were causing the problems. Mm. Justin, this is the first time we've really seen someone shut down Blackburn this season. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the perfect manager to do that is Chris Hewitt. He knows he knows his stuff. And obviously, the one thing Forrest needed was a, a settled side. And you hope that they can get that going forward. Um, but as you say, shutting down this Blackburn team right up until, you know, you're, Forrest were in the game right up until they scored. So they'll never, it was either going to be a draw and a clean sheet. And obviously, they got the three points. So shutting that team down, that that attack um, was, was a a pretty big achievement, I think, going forward. That's the sort of thing that's going to give Forrest confidence. Mm. We've had plenty of your thoughts, Rich, on Sabri Lamushi over the past few weeks. But what are your thoughts on the appointment of Chris Hewton? Well, just like you, Ryan, I was just thinking, well, he's a proven guy. He's someone who's got track record of success in, in this division. Um, he... And some Forest fans were going, oh, Eddie Howe. And um, one of the guys on, on on our podcast even said, oh, Big Sam would be a good choice. And I'm going, no, no, don't don't go overboard with it. That, that's Chris a bit Hewton, ironic, considering everyone's been complaining about Lamushi's football. Well, yeah, but I guess he had the point that Big Sam's got proven results. But I was saying, mm. we don't need to go overboard. With Chris Hewton, we've got somebody who um, has that proven track record. But just as importantly, you won't hear fans of any club anywhere <laughs> say anything bad about Chris Hewton. And when you've got fans of clubs where he's managed who only have good things to say about him, um, even Norwich fans, um, then that's got to be a good sign. It's a rarity in the modern game. Yeah, true. Um, well, you have had four straight losses so far this season, but I, I'm guessing you're still thinking promotion still a real possibility this season. Look, let's be honest. Um, when you've lost four games out of four, then that leaves a 42-game season. Let's be honest, OK? It's early days. And realistically, if Forrest wants to get promoted, you can only really afford another four losses for automatic looking at Leeds and uh, West Brom last season um, maybe a little bit more for the playoffs so three points is a good start and with the squad that Forrest have got and now with Hewton in charge they've got to be aiming high but it, let's be honest it's a long way to go yeah definitely uh, let's go to you Carlo because you had your first game post Gerhard Struber what were your thoughts on him leaving and how do you think it impacted the performances so far this season um, to be fair, even amongst Barnsley fans, there's, there's, there's two camps. Um, the one camp is saying, you know, his parting shot was, um, I don't want Barnsley uh, sort of like, you know, in and around the relegation zone every, every season. Uh, I have higher ambitions and I am querying if the owners of this club share those ambitions. And the other camp is saying, well, you know, he, he knew what he had. Uh, they were his players that he brought in, um, you know, a couple of years ago, we brought Daniel Stendhal and suddenly we had a, an in, influx of German players. We then uh, appoint Struber, suddenly all these Austrian players are coming in. And I think he stuck to his system so much and his formation that some of the players 
to me, just underperformed. If you look at a Corley Woodrow, I think any team in the championship, if you've got Corley Woodrow, he has to play in a number nine role, not outside the box in a number 10 working back because, you know, he's a born goal scorer and he would not give in with Gerhard Struber. Um, I think the worry for most Barnsley fans is that the board are sticking and the owners are sticking with this system, how they want to play. The Gagan press, the high press, the high intensity. So, you know, if I was a betting man, I would put my money on a Austrian or a German or somebody coming in that's familiar with that system, but probably won't have any experience of managing in the championship. Mm. I've just had a look at the odds and the bookies have got Darren Moore as the latest favourite, but I've seen loads of different managers banded about. I saw Eddie Howe's the favourite a couple of weeks ago. I can't really see that happening. Um, is, is there any preference to who you want to be as manager? I know you said you think it will be uh, someone from abroad, but who, who would you want? I think who we, who we want, you know, we would like an English manager that can work with the relatively young squad that we've got. You know, the Cowley brothers were mentioned um, Eddie Howell's mentioned listen Barnsley's had I think we're, including sort of like interim managers we're on our fifth in three years so I think you know all the betting companies have just got a standard list of anybody that's available and as soon as the Barnsley manager goes it gets put up there uh, <laughs> yeah oh yeah um, I, I don't think it will be a Derrimore. Moore I think um the, I think the, the ownership of Barnsley, people talk about the wealth that they've got, but that's personal wealth. They're definitely not putting that into the club. Um, and I suppose the history means it will only be a, a foreign coach. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a coach that worked at a, you know, a reasonable size club, but at a youth level. Because I think ultimately Barnsley are looking for a yes man that will say, I agree with, you know, the the the, the three four one two. I agree with the Gagan press. You know, I agree with bringing younger players on. Um, but then, as always, you know, players start playing well for Barnsley. They get noticed and they leave. You know, we're still waiting on a replacement for Key for more. And, and he's since played for Wigan and Cardiff, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, Adam Murray is in caretaker charge and you were coming up yeah. against a Bristol City side who have won all four games this season, but you drew 2-2. And I thought it was a good performance from Barnsley. It was certainly the best so far this season, wasn't it? Yes, definitely. I think the first half, just having players in a natural positions. It's weird, isn't it? Um, at Clark O'Dor, who played reasonably well last season. He's just at his first full international call-up. Um, he couldn't get a game on the Struber. Uh, Woodrow played in at number nine role, so he was relieved from his duties. Um, and I think especially the first half, Barnsley are always best if we get hold of the game in you know the first few minutes. You know We scored a goal, I think it was the second or the third minute, uh, and we kept pressing and, and we caused problems. You know We caused them problems. I think in the second half, it showed that Holden tactically outmastered Murray and uh, you know made a couple of changes formation-wise. And the second half, we were well, almost nowhere to be seen, finding it very hard to, to create chances. And, you know, uh, I think it was, it, it was a penalty in the last minute of extra time, but because of the injury to Solbauer, it was, I think it was scored in the 112th minute or whatever. But yeah, Coley Woodrow does a miss from there. So, um, but overall, pleasing to see that we're now playing players in their natural positions. Yeah, I was going to say, 112th minute when the penalty was finally scored. Uh, Colin Woodrow had to wait 10 minutes while Michael Solbauer was given treatment. He's OK, so that's good news. Um, but Colin Woodrow was linked with a move away. He was being linked with Cardiff in the final few days of the transfer window, but instead ended up signing a new contract, uh, which is massive news because he's a quality player, isn't he? 
Uh, he is. Uh, we were all, uh, you know, Barnsley fans were wondering if there is no investment into it. We did our show on Thursday and basically nothing had happened. And, and we were there was a real fear that we would lose some of our better players because I think they um, subtly sort of said in press interviews that if there is no investment in this squad, then, you know, we, we will look elsewhere. Um, he, he then sent a tweet out. I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon saying thank you to all my fans at Barnsley. You know, I've had a really, really good time. And the club then sort of responded. And then it was like, yeah, he's, he's with the club now till 2023. And I do think that the signings of Matty James from Leicester, who's been with us before, mm. um, I know it's a couple of years ago, but he, he, he was a Rolls Royce in a team that were full of let's go on Vauxhall insignias, um, you know, Herbert Kane, <laughs> I think, uh, um, has, has proven, and even when he came on yesterday, that he looks very, very comfortable on the ball. I cannot believe that bloke's 21. I mean, you know, I've got more air than him and I'm 49. Um, and I think <laughs> bringing those sorts of players in, sorry, I think bringing those sorts of players in has, I suppose, filled the players with some confidence that there is investment. The one thing we're still lacking is a target bench. Somebody, you know, the best season we probably had in the last few weeks, Years when we had Kiefer Moore and Coley Woodrow up front, bags of goals between them. Uh, Coley Woodrow slightly isolated, but I'm sure that'll be addressed, if not this month, probably in the next transfer window. Yeah, just quickly on Bristol City, Justin, this is the first time they've dropped points this season. Uh, did this performance for you show any signs that Dean Holder's men won't continue their good form? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, um, you know, the first Barnsley goal was, was poor. Defending wise, it was poor. It was a free header, floated corner. It's one of those ones that are quite easy to defend. Um, but I just think they came up against a Barnsley team that was perhaps, you know, it's quite fresh coming off the back of a, a, sack, uh, a sack manager and you've got a caretaker manager who pretty much simplifies things the way Murray did. Um, but players still performed. You know, Chris Martin got another assist, for example. So I just think they came up against a, a trickier side, a trickier Barnsley than it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Well, cheers, chaps. We'll come back to you both later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, uh, me and Justin are going to go round the grounds and we'll start off at the Liberty Stadium where there was a shock result as Swansea were beaten 2-1 by Huddersfield. Joining us from Total Swans TV is Tom Morgan. Tom, a frustrating result because Swansea looked to be much the better side. Yeah, certainly a very frustrating result, uh, losing 2-1 to Huddersfield at home. Given the start of the season that we have had and how well we've been playing, uh, maybe international break come at the wrong time for us, but no excuses really yesterday. Very disappointing uh, result. The performance was there, the chances were there, but we just did not take those chances. Um, unfortunately, in the second half, Huddersfield come out the much stronger side and Swansea paid the price for that. We, you know, we dominated in the first half. We really should have come out exactly the same in the second half, trying to look for a goal early on. That didn't happen. And then Huddersfield made the most of their chances. Um, we wasted an awful lot of chances from corners and certainly clear cut chances in front of goal. Yeah, and the result comes after what was an eventful week in the transfer window for the Swans. Plenty of players coming in, but the headline is that Joe Roden has left the club to go to Spurs. Uh, what's the general consensus from Swansea fans on that move? Yeah, a very busy transfer window for the Swans. Um, some very good activity, to be fair, on deadline day, uh, bringing in four uh, good good players, adding a bit of depth to the squad. Um, but obviously, all of that then is overshadowed by the Joe Roden deal. Um the general consensus, I'd say no Swansea City fan can really begrudge the player making that move uh, and nobody deserves it any more than Joe Roden from the Swansea squad. Obviously, being at the club since the age of seven, he lives and breathes the city and the football club, but you cannot begrudge a player making the move to a top-flight team in the Premier League. Um, the deal itself, the fee for the player, £11 million plus add-ons reportedly is the fee. 
that is where an awful lot of Swansea fans are a bit angry um, and a bit annoyed at the owners. I think we left it a little bit too late in the transfer window, leaving it until deadline day. We probably could have got a little bit more for him earlier on in the window. What kind of an impact do you think Roden's departure will have on um, Swansea's chances this season? Because after the first few games, Swansea were looking like promotion contenders. Yeah, a very good start to the season. Obviously, the defeat against Huddersfield was was unfortunate, but one defeat in five, uh, three victories and one draw. It's a very good start to the season. To talk about promotions, maybe a little bit too early, but we're on the right sort of path. You know, it's an unfortunate defeat against Huddersfield. Um, this the sale of Roden, the sort of knock on effect that it could have um, in the dressing room. You know, I think that the deal was inevitable. Um, it was always going to happen this transfer window or in January. So hopefully, the players were mentally prepared for it. Um, I know that we recruited two centre-backs to replace Joe Roden on deadline day, so we have the strength in depth there. Um, hopefully those players now can step up uh, and fill the boots of Roden, and hopefully we can get back on track now uh, Tuesday night against Coventry and get back to winning ways, and hopefully the departure of Roden doesn't have too much of a knock-on effect going forward this season. And hopefully, like you say, we can continue to be promotion contenders. Cheers, Tom. That's Tom from Total Swans TV. Yes, Swansea fans not too happy about Roden leaving and the Huddersfield result won't make them any happier. But Justin, a great result for Carlos Corbran. Yeah, you could you could probably say they were a tad fortunate. Obviously, Haim had uh, five saves to make on top form, but I think this was a step in the right direction for Huddersfield. You know, you're starting to see Corbran's style of play seep through. They had 16 interceptions to Swansea's 10, um, which suggests that counter-press is starting to come in a little bit. Um, and obviously, they, they match Swansea for touches on the ball and the amount of passes as well. And obviously, Swansea are very renowned for their possession style of football. Um, so as you said, you're starting to see Corbran's style of play come through uh, and they beat a good team in Swansea unbeaten this season. Um, good day all round for, for Carlos and, and Huddersfield Town, I think. Mm. We'll talk about Roden and our thoughts on uh, the move a bit later in the um, transfer roundup that we're releasing on Monday. Uh, But seven points from their last three games for Huddersfield. And I'm very interested to see whether this purple patch continues because they beat Forest, who were terrible, Mm -hmm. drew with Rotherham, who are fairly average, and beat Swansea here, but they were perhaps a bit fortunate. They've got Derby in midweek, who aren't in great shape at the moment, so it could very well continue, but it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, Let's talk about the Rams now, because they lost 1-0 to Watford on Friday night. Joining us now to talk about the game is Justin Peach from the Second Tier Podcast. Justin, hello. Good afternoon. Actually, we'll talk about Derby in a set because um, Watford, it's their third win of the season, Mm. thanks to João Pedro, who scored a beautiful goal, Justin. Yeah, it was it. It was one of those games that you know both teams were playing three centre backs and three centre mids. It was never going to be a classic, was it? Um, so a moment of quality, quality like that from Jal Pedro is you know it's either going to be that or a, a set piece where it comes off someone's arse. Um, mm. the, the two contrasting goals type, type uh, types of goals. Um, but yeah, a good goal and um, it's you know you saw again you start to see what Watford are about. Very defensive, very structured. Um, you just hope that they can get a bit more out of their attacking lineup, and you know Pedro scores a few more goals like that, or maybe just some tappings will be fine. I think. Yeah, I find Watford are a bit of a weird case because despite only losing once this season, I wouldn't say they've been particularly impressive, uh, especially considering the big names at their disposal. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I got panned for it um, a few weeks ago, and I suggested that I'm yet to be impressed by Watford, and I am yet to be impressed by Watford. I think. They've got they're very very structured. Now, I really did like their shape on Friday, but they didn't offer much going forward. I think Derby had the better chances overall. You know, Rooney had a one and one with Foster, which he put wide, and Dwayne Holmes had a good chance to to 
put a player through and score. So there are, I wouldn't say issues with this Watford team, but they're still nowhere near where they are capable of being. Yeah, I think the three standout players so far have been the three young lads, Wilmot and Gakia and Pedro. And Gakia in particular looks a real play. I'm surprised West Ham let him go. <laughs> um, but it's worth pointing out they didn't have Ismail Assar for this game. And now that he's staying, that could be a massive, massive turning point for Watford and they might you know, get better and better over the next few weeks. Watford have Blackburn and Bournemouth up next. Two very interesting mm. and tricky games there. Uh, well, for Derby, this result makes it four losses out of five for Philip Koku this season. Now, there are reports that he was set to be replaced by Wayne Rooney in <laughs> midweek, but those were rubbish by the club and they do seem a bit bizarre. Yeah. Uh, however, Koku is undoubtedly under pressure, isn't he, Justin? Because the fans are growing impatient well I think with every club there are sections of fans there are sections of fans that have never warmed to Koku there are sections of fans that are on the fence and there are sections of fans that are behind him I don't think there's another manager out there who can get the best out of this squad um, especially with Koku who's got almost 18 months behind him with this squad you also got to consider the fact that Waghorn's got to come back in Joswiak didn't play um, on Friday Tom Lawrence is coming back we've got uh, Colin Kasim Richards Yay, um, to come in. <laughs> and um, I, I'm sure there's one I'm forgetting. Jordan Ibe as well. So there's a lot of creativity missing from Derby. If they play like this more often, they're going to keep teams out. And, you know, you, you add in those creative players, and Derby look a different package going forward. Um, it was a much better performance on Friday, and you started to see Derby going in the right direction, even though the result wasn't there. The frustration seems to be coming from the style of play, though. And uh, a lot of Derby fans say it's too slow. There's a lot of sideways passing. He's Dutch. What, what do you think? He's Dutch. You know, it's it's that total football. That's a Dutch accent. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. It was all right. Um, it's it's that total football where, you know, you pass it sideways sometimes. There's no really, there's not a counter press. It's, it's being in a shape um, and being productive uh, with the ball and, there are elements of that with the derby this season. You know they're one of the highest with um, one of the highest in the league with average possession, for example. They're one of the highest with the amount of passes recorded as well, um, and that's because of this this style of play. And I think, as I've said, Koku's never really had that attacking um, yield of players at his disposal in one collective. And as I say, you yeah. get those. I get, back I get what in. you're saying. Yeah, but, but at the end of the day, if you've got all that possession, and you're not doing anything with it. As we say, they've lost four out of the five games. Then. What, what's the point? The, yeah, but the fans what, who complain about the style of play have got a point, haven't they? No, but this is what I'm trying to get at. Is Cocker's got nothing going forward at the moment. You add those players in, they're a different, um, they're a different customer when you get, when you put those attacking players in, uh, and you might start to see players come out of their shell a little bit and be a bit inventive on their own because you've got players like Josviak uh, and Ibe who can do that. Fair enough. Rotherham lost 2-1 to Norwich on Saturday. Florian Josephson made his debut after moving from Derby, came on in the 66th minute, had four touches and gave away a penalty in the 94th minute. Joining us now from the Rotherham United podcast, it's Matt Lax. Matt, this was a fairly entertaining game, but the defending wasn't great, was it? Yeah, really, really good performance overall. Uh, exciting game, which didn't end up in our favour, unfortunately. Um, but we we scored an early goal, missed a penalty, red card, own goal, last minute penalty. We had just about everything. Um, but like I said, not not for us. Uh, we we were positive about it. it, it was, for us, it was a really really good performance actually. Um, we just didn't take us chances. We made a couple of chances, obviously penalty, which we missed. Um, and in the second half, we we put them under a lot of pressure. And for a team like Norwich, for us to put them under pressure is a really really good sign for us. 
Yeah, I was going to ask from a Rotherham perspective, when you consider that there was a division separating Rotherham and Norwich last season, then when you look at the performance, then yeah, it's fairly encouraging, isn't it? Absolutely encouraging. Uh, we've got we've got mistakes we need to cut out. That's the second own goal we've conceded so far this season at home and the second uh, second penalty we've conceded as well. So there are mistakes to cut out. Um, but we've probably, uh, other way, obviously had a right winger, Chiog Bene, is now injured for four months, which is a blow for us. Um, but we've brought Barlazer in from Newcastle. So the squad's almost complete. So I think what it, the, we are where Warney wants us to be. Um, and yesterday showed it. We, we pressed them really, really high. Pressed them into the mistake for the for the first, our first goal was down to us sort of pushing them into a mistake. Uh, and we did it a couple more times. Obviously, just didn't result in goals and obviously the penalty as well, for, forcing them into mistakes. There's lots and lots of positives. We just got to sort of get rid of these silly little mistakes that are, that are costing us at the minute. And Matt, last time we spoke, which was on the first day of the season, you said you take 21st now. Is that still the case? Still the case, just take safety. Uh, what I would say is we've seen some positive signs, which probably means we could finish a bit higher than that. Also, I'm not saying we're going to be challenging playoffs or anything like that. Um, but I think there's a reasonable chance we could end up being relatively safe, lower mid-table area. We've pushed teams like Norwich very, very close. Uh, when we went to Birmingham a few weeks ago, we probably should have won that. We were unlucky not to, be, uh, not to get at least something from Millwall. That came from another silly mistake. Other than that, we pushed them hard as well. And again, Huddersfield the other week, that again, an own goal uh, cost us a couple of points. If we can cut out these mistakes, there's no reason why we can't be pretty comfortable this season. Cheers, Matt. That's Matt Lax from the Rotherham United podcast. Uh, Justin, Norwich's second win of the season, and it was fairly fortunate, wasn't it, thanks to that late penalty? Yeah, a little bit, you know. Rotherham shot themselves in the foot a couple of times in this game and I think that's what really allowed Norwich back into it. Uh, they're still getting over last season, aren't they? For me, I think dropping Pukey would be the way forward and having Hugo up front um, because I know we, we've slated Hugo in, in the past but you know there, there is goals in this Norwich team and he, he's very much a focal point and obviously you take Pukey out of the firing line as well. Um, but they're still Norwich is still nowhere near where I think they should be um, and it's games like this where I think... Or was I too was I too quick to suggest they might win the league? <laughs> well, you weren't the only one. In fairness, I've heard plenty of people uh, tipping Norwich to win the league this season, but they are struggling a bit, aren't they? Puki was dropped for this game, and it was Hugo who was up front. So I'm glad to know Daniel Farker listens to the podcast after I said that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but it'll be interesting to see whether he comes back into the team. Adam Eder, who we've been given plenty of praise to, he was on the left wing, and maybe he might give, be given a go up front at some point as well. Uh, there was a Nathan Jones derby on Saturday, Justin at Kenilworth Road. Has Luton played Stoke? It finished two nil to Stoke thanks to goals from Stephen Fletcher and Nick Powell. Ben Valley is from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Ben, it looks like Stoke are really starting to get going now. They are picking up now, and to some extent, I think that's because Michael O'Neill has found his best 11, or is finding his best 11. We had and have a massive squad with loads of players in it, uh, of all varying ages and abilities. And I think he's finding that a blend of young and old at the back... Uh, some pace up front and just hard work in midfield generally with that three-back system is working and it worked against Luton it's worked against other teams in the past where perhaps we should have got results and didn't um, but it's also fallen flat on its face and I think that's just because we were playing the wrong players for the wrong system um, he's finding that now though 
And perhaps it's the 11 that Stoke fans were calling for for a while, but with players like Tyrese Campbell and Fletcher up front, Harry Sutar and Nathan Collins at the back, yeah, we're looking really strong now. Yeah, tell us about how the game was yesterday. It seemed fairly comfortable in the end. Maybe from an outsider's point of view, it was reasonably comfortable, but Luton did have their chances. Nathan Jones, famously after the game, says that perhaps Luton were better in every way apart from the scoreline. Uh, I don't know whether that's necessarily true. They did have a lot of chances, and it was thanks to players like Adam Davis and goal, who was absolutely fabulous once again. If you're not looking at him for one of the best goalkeepers in the division, you really should be. Um, we had our chances too, but Luton were dangerous, and I'm not going to say that we were comfortable. It was a comfortable win in terms of we put our goals away reasonably early and we were able to settle into a final 20 minutes or so. But it could have gone the other way quite easily had it not been for a couple of really crucial interceptions at the back. But of course, you can say that about any game. That's what they're there for. And I'm glad that Stoke are finally doing their job. I've got to ask you about young Harry Sutar at the back. We've spoken about him every time we mentioned Stoke for the past few weeks. But it's amazing that this young lad has come into the team and has been sensational hasn't he and then he's also got Nathan Collins alongside him as well who's a, a very impressive young player as well the fact that they're both getting attention really worries me because yes they are potentially better being at such a young age than some of the older centre-backs we have you know we just signed James Chester who Aston Villa fans love and yet he's been kept out by these two barely teenagers if you know what I mean um yeah, they're, they're really good. I think their presence really helps. I think their athleticism definitely helps in a defence which has seen Stoke plagued by a lack of pace and a susceptibility to the counter-attack. We don't seem to have that anymore. But they're clever too, and I think they're working well alongside in a back three with some older centre-backs. Um, and it just shows the quality they have. We've got Bruno Martins-Indy who played in a, I think, World Cup semi-final. He's been sent out on loan or left the club. So they are two very good players. Harry Suter especially is coming into his own, but Nathan Collins I'm really excited about as well. And finally, Ben, I've got to ask you about Jack Bullens because he's now finally left the club to go to Crystal Palace in, for just a million pounds, which is remarkable when you consider how he's been linked with a move to Bournemouth for 20 million pounds last year. It's sensational, isn't it, how his career has declined so much in just the space of a year? Part of me really, really feels sorry for Jack Bolton. We signed him as a 19-year-old, I think, from Birmingham. He went out on loan to a couple of clubs. Uh, Begovic left. We brought him back. He was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. He got injured on international duty, and that really hampered his career. Uh, Stoke got relegated the following season, I believe. And then he lost his place in the England team, and it really, really hit him. He might not like to admit that, but it did. It really, really affected his confidence and his mental health, I think, as well, because he dropped off the face of the planet in terms of ability-wise, last season especially, and his stock dropped from uh, Paul Lambert saying that he's worth over £35 million, that would get you one glove, down to letting him go for a million pounds, you say. I think that Stoke have done him kind to some extent. He did have one year left on his deal when he left, but I think we've done him a favour because he's done so much for us and he deserves a fresh start at a new club. Cheers, Ben. That's Ben from the YYY Files. Well, as Ben was just saying there, Justin, Harry Sutar looks a real player, doesn't he? There aren't many young lads who have come into a side and made as much of a difference as he has. We've given him plenty of praise, but we won't uh, uh, spend too much time talking about him. But Ben was also talking about Adam Davis in goal. He says one of the best in the league. Do you agree? 
silly question, isn't it? Of course I agree. Uh, <laughs> he's kept 10 clean sheets since he's come in for Stoke. Um, seven this season. Seven clean sheets this season, right? That's, that's a lot. You know, that, that's credit to Michael O'Neill uh, and obviously the defence as well. But, um, you know, the way he gets teams structured, they're getting the best out of Stoke now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, from a Luton perspective, wasn't a bad performance from them, really, was it? No, it wasn't, but I think we're starting to find out Luton's level at the moment. You know, their defeats have come from teams that are significantly better and probably better resourced than them. Um, you know, when, and when we're looking at experience and ability at championship level, they've been beaten by both. It's no disgrace by any means because they've performed well in, in both of those games. Um, but as well, you know, the, the defending for the goals was, was disappointing. Uh, disappointing for Luton. And I think Nathan Jones will be frustrated with that because it was the same against Watford as well, which was their other defeat. You mentioned there the funding. That's what you've got to remember with Luton, mm-hmm. isn't it? If they were to finish mid-table this season, it would be an extraordinary season for Luton Town, especially with, uh, as you mentioned, the resources and the lack of time that they've had in the transfer window to really strengthen themselves. It would be an amazing achievement from Nathan Jones. And at the moment, they look on course to do that because they've been really impressive, haven't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. Right, let's take a break. Just in. After that, we'll talk about Birmingham, Wickham and Brentford. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh, no, dear listener. There's also training wear, track suits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Right, Justin, Birmingham haven't won since the opening day and lost 1-0 to Wednesday thanks to a penalty by Barry Bannon. James Jenkinson is from Birmingham Fan TV. James, how have things looked under Ito Karanka so far? So yeah, thank, I think if you look at the, the start that Birmingham City have had in terms of their opposition and the fixture that they've, they've, they've had and how they've actually come out of the first four games before the international break, I think they've done really well, you know, with the first four opposition being Brentford, um, Swansea away, Stoke away and Rotherham at home, which has proven to be a bit of a, a tricky fixture for most this season. I think we've started really well considering where we were at the back end of last season, conceding three every game and this season being one of the tightest defences in the league so far. Yeah, James, tell us about the game yesterday. It seemed like it was a very open one. Yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. Um, I think Sheffield Wednesday definitely had the better of large portions of the game, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, they had their chances. They probably could have made it more than one. Um, but I think we've defended quite well this season. Uh, Etheridge has been a, a masterstroke for us. He's been a real solid pair of hands in goal. Um, and then we kind of changed the system. We went through at the back, two wing-backs, and really put them on the on the back foot for the last 15-20 minutes. And I think I'm not one for XG and, and stats, but I think the XG showed that we had a better expected goals in the end. We were creating a lot more towards the back end when we went two up front and uh, he brought Lee Cohen and McGree on, the two new attacking players for us. Yeah, Birmingham have been fairly busy in the summer, haven't they, in terms of transfers? And one player who stood out for me is Ivan Sanchez, who plays on the wing. Uh, tell us about him, because he looks an exciting player, doesn't he? 
Yeah, so Sanchez has come in and he's been an incredibly exciting player so far. Obviously, a bit of a, an unknown quantity. Uh, I don't think many Blues fans knew about him before he come in, um, other than what they could see on the internet, which can be a bit deceiving sometimes. But yet he's come in and he's been um, probably our, our best attacking outlet, so to speak. He's full of flair, he's full of tricks. Um, so nimble on the ball, he glides past people with ease. And I think there's a clip at uh, the back end of the Stoke game where he's come in and he's beat three or four players to get us from his own box to, to halfway inside the Stoke area. Um, and it, he's definitely someone to watch out for. I think he's been one of the, the best-rate players so far in the Championship and, and certainly could catch a few by surprise this season. And James, it is just one win under Karanka so far, but looking ahead to the rest of the season, are you still confident that you can have a good season? Oh, for sure. I think the season um, is going to be more than positive under under Karanka. You can already see the signs of what he's trying to do, where his predecessors have failed, so to speak. They've, they've you know where we've had successful managers under Rowett and Munker, they've come in and they've made us hard to beat, first of all, and then worked on the attacking side of the game on top of that foundation they lay. And Karanka's doing exactly the same blueprint. You know, uh, we don't concede more than one at the minute if we do concede. Um, OK, we're not setting the world alight going forward. We're not creating loads and scoring loads at the moment. But I want to see us build on that solid foundation being hard to be resolute about not conceding many because if you don't concede many you know you give yourself a great opportunity to go and win games and eventually it will all click um and the one win yeah it's a it's a little bit un- underwhelming but also only one defeat and it's important for blues fans to remember that um going forward and i think we'll be more than fine under cranker's leadership cheers james that's james from birmingham fan tv justin not an ideal start for birmingham they've got norwich in midweek as well which will be an interesting game How, what have you made of them Ooh, they've been uh, they've been very Karanka, haven't they? They've they've neither been they've not been here nor there um, with the with the playing. There's been a, they've had a lot of defensive errors. You know they've conceded three penalties this season, which is I think the third highest in the league behind Norwich and Rotherham. Um, so I think you know once they start cutting out those errors, you know Karanka likes defensively solid teams. You cut out those errors and they start turning those those losses into points for example like they have done in the previous few games um, they, they will start to pick up some momentum but that's all it is for Birmingham I think once Karanka can get a bit of momentum out of this side they'll be they'll be a difficult team to break down but I do worry about them um, when they go 1-0 down because I don't think they've got enough in them uh, or, or, or any Karanka side has got enough in them to turn over a, a 1-0 deficit hmm. Wednesday steadily picking up a few results aren't they they've got 8 points so far and are chipping away at that 12 point deduction um, it's impressive that even though they started on minus 12 they're only 7 points from safety after 5 games it is really impressive and 13 points off the playoffs Ryan hey? uh, yeah. imagine if they did that <laughs> ridiculous but it, it, it's got to be said if, if, if it wasn't for the points deduction they'd be uh, top half I think and that shows mm. that Gary Monk has managed to turn around uh, this side after what was a terrible end to last season I think the, the question I'm going to ask is you take out the points deduction you know they're they're on eight points would you consider Sheffield Wednesday for the playoffs again just ignore the points deduction because from a squad perspective I'm really really happy with this balance you know I'd, mm. I'd be I'd be looking up because you know I think having them to be relegated was was quite a faux pas for a lot of podcasters including us just because you know we're looking at that that um that points deduction we're thinking I don't think they could turn that around but they've recruited really really well and they've got a very good squad um so I think you know points deduction aside you'd consider them for the playoffs I could see what you mean um I think going forwards that's an issue because 
at the moment their striking options are off the top of my head Josh Windass Jordan Rhodes Jack Marriott now as well it's not the best it's alright but it's all right, but it's not the best. But they have got a decent side still. They've still got plenty of players who were knocking about when they got in the playoffs a few years ago, haven't mm. they? So I can see what you mean. The thing is, all it takes is one bad run of form, and they're right back in there, aren't they? And that 10 point, 12 point deduction, sorry, is not helpful whatsoever. Justin Wickham finally scores, although it was a shit goal because of a mistake <laughs> by Bartosz Bielkowski, who suddenly thought it was Johan Cruyff, apparently. Uh, they lost 2 1 to Millwall. They were a bit unlucky, though, weren't they? Because they had a goal controversially ruled out. Joe Jacobson scored directly from a corner, and the referee ruled it out for seemingly nothing well, what did you make of it the referee gave it the linesman saw it which is impressive um but i was obviously you know watching watching the goals back and um i think it was dean ashton said that i think it was cash get was holding on to bierkowski's glove mm, i couldn't really see it myself oh, bierkowski's see... a is a big guy surely he can like shrug it off you know it's, it, it, it was a, it was a poor decision but i think you're really harsh to like you know wickham have scored but you're still crap, you know. Just, just let's just revel in it for a moment because they they were a lot better today, and they have I think slowly started to get better. I think it's a matter of time before they get a point on the board, and you know maybe at some point a win. Well, I, I will give them credit because this was admittedly a better performance from yeah. them. Now I famously said a couple of weeks ago that I'm not sure Wickham will win a game this season. I still think that's the case, <laughs> but. If they manage to build on this performance, then they'll go somewhere to prove me wrong. Uh, Gareth Ainsworth, still very positive as always during his post-match interviews. That man, even though he's just been cost a goal yeah. by a dodgy refereeing decision, still loving life. I don't know how. I'd be... I'd be... I don't know. The advertising board behind him, I put my fist through it. <laughs> I'd be so angry because, you know, they're obviously working really hard. They're up against it already. And um, he's been robbed of a point, essentially. If you could go for a drink with any manager in the championship, would it be Gareth Ainsworth? I think so. I think we've got a same, a similar style of music, you know, similar taste in music. So I think I'd, I'd enjoy a good drink with him. He's just a chilled out guy as well, isn't he? Yeah. I reckon he's the kind of guy who would buy everyone a pint as well. He'd be more than happy to chip in with a round. Who do you think would be the le- the manager you'd least like to go for a drink with? Alex Neil. <laughs> he's just so intense all the time, isn't he? Do you think he'd be the kind of guy who would dip out of he'd, buying a round? He'd buy his own form? drinks. I don't think he. I don't think he'd get involved in the rounds. I think he'd buy his own drinks and just say, "I'm not. I'm not doing this." No, that's you boys. You boys round up. I'm. I'm on my own. I have met Alex Neil. He's a nice bloke in fairness, but he, he, in his interviews, he does come across as a bit grumpy sometimes, <laughs> doesn't he? I. But at the same time, uh, he's a lovely bloke. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Let's get back I to have, it. <laughs> I have no proof of his uh, drinking habits when it comes to the pub. Um, what have you made of Millwall so far, Justin? They were expecting, well, we were expecting them to be challenging for the playoffs this season. Maybe a dark horse for the automatics even, but they've not been particularly convincing, have they? No, they haven't. I think they'll be content with their start. Um, form's been, you know, it's been very mid-table so far, which is, which is, I think is good for them when you consider that the, you know, the, the budget they've got behind them isn't one of the biggest but you know they create a lot of chances in this game and they come from a goal behind so putting a positive spin it they'll want to build on this performance and, and go again and they've they've recruited again they're another team that I've recruited very well um over the last week or so so I think you know turn, turning that around I think they'd, they'd be looking forward again but as you say I think it's been a fairly indifferent start not one that I expected not they've conceded a lot of chances for me which is the disappointing thing for this for this Millwall team 
Yeah, well, especially in this game because defensively they're well, last season they were one of the most solid sides in the mm-hmm. division, but they've come up against a Wickham side who have failed to trouble anyone really so far and they were a bit vulnerable at times, weren't they? Jake Cooper hit the crossbar though from the halfway line. And it was effortless. Uh, oh, he's superb and he made the keeper break the net at the same time. <laughs> that was possibly the highlight of my weekend um that's got nothing to say about what i actually did this weekend but there you go uh, and ivan tony double gave brentford three points against coventry they won two nil ivan tony's got five goals in three games now justin who needs ollie watkins do you know what i think it was a couple of weeks ago he missed a couple of chances and i was so close to having like a mini 15 second rant about him and you know peterborough strikers i'm so so glad i didn't um, and he, you know he's proved me wrong. I wasn't overly convinced, but as I say, he just said it. He's proved me wrong. You know, his first goal was a poacher's finish. His second was was really good movement. You're peeling off the defender, um, and you're putting a powerful header through it like that. It's it's, it's a good goal. Um, and it obviously, as you say, it takes him to the top of the goal scoring charts alongside Adam Armstrong, I think. And um, that's going to lift that's going to lift a lot of pressure off his shoulders because he's the main man for Brentford. You know, Ben rama has gone now. He's he's the one who's got to step up him and uh, him and Embuemo. The thing is, we were saying, weren't we, a couple of weeks ago when he did miss those chances that it feels like all he needs is just that one goal yeah. and he'll get going and start firing. And that's been the case, hasn't it? Because I think he could break some records this season, some goal scoring records. Okay. He is so clinical, Justin, so clinical. And his movement, fantastic, as we saw with both the goals, as you mentioned, the way he just drifts off from the defenders. Um, he took it a bit of time to get going, but I'm... I'm loving watching him now. He's confident and he's looking very, very dangerous. But it was a brilliant all-round performance from Brentford, who were were quite comfortable in the end. Uh, But for Coventry, just one win this season for them. However, the losses have come against Bournemouth, Brentford and Bristol City. Three teams who you expect to be up there come the end of the season. So I don't think we can judge them too much just yet, can we? Uh, On Sunday afternoon, Cardiff beat Preston 1-0 away at Deepdale thanks to a goal from Shea Ojo. Um, Not a great game, this. It's got to be said. Very few chances. But Neil Harris will probably call it a brilliant defensive performance. And it was, wasn't it? Because Sean Morrison and Curtis Nelson were superb. Yeah, I, I managed to watch the second half and the amount of crosses I saw going to the box and they dealt with everything. And it's what you expect him to do. And I think um, the first few games, I thought, you know, the, the Cardiff defence was in line for some criticism, but they've answered that um, against Preston. They're, they're a perfect side to play away from home. I know it's quite difficult now without fans, but because they've got good wingers, they've got good wide players, they're very organised, and you're not obviously not expected to attack, attack, attack when you're playing away. So they can hit teams on the break and be relatively solid at the back. So, yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a good performance, and Morrison and Nelson were as good as they were at the tail end of last season. I feel sorry for Philip Benkovic, who's come in on loan on transfer deadline day, and he will have watched that performance from the bench and been like, oh, Christ, I'm not going to play much this <laughs> season. He, he's, it'll be interesting to see how he fits into things, because he, he was quite impressive for Bristol City, even though they didn't play particularly well towards the end of last season. Um, but it is only Cardiff's second win of the season. It seems like Cardiff have been lacking a bit going forward. Keith Moore is a super player, as we've said plenty of times. But he's not been getting the service, and that should be better now they've got Harry Wilson, shouldn't it? Yep, Harry Wilson got a very good left foot, as, you know, Derby fan. Very I know good that, left foot. Yeah, I know that very well. So, you know, getting crosses in the box is, is going to be important for Cardiff. But as well as that, you know, Keith Moore was, was involved with the, the counter-attack. You know, he's, he's not just a target man. You know, his movement managed to, you know, he peeled off the defender and it gave Ojo a bit of space to take it down the right and power it into the corner. So, you know, credit where credit's due. He's, he's a good striker, but as you say, good strikers need good service as well. 
yeah, we'll talk more at length about Harry Wilson and that signing in the transfer roundup on Monday. Uh, Preston, just one win this season. Fans getting impatient with Alex Neal. Uh, I've seen a few calling for his head, but I think that might be a bit too soon at the moment. But he does need to get three points under his belt, doesn't he, to ease the pressure? Yep, and as we say, he's, he's quite a grumpy man, so maybe a smile might <laughs> might get fans on board. Uh, um, but yeah, they're, they're a team that just, again, big team down there, Forest, Derby, just haven't got going yet. And um, they've got the players to do it. I, I still think, I still think they needed um, another striker in. You know, the Jakobsen signings. Yeah, he's inexperienced at Champions level. It's going to take him some time to get to get accustomed to it. So, getting three points and keeping clean sheets would be would be a good start as well. Yeah, the final couple of games they were both goalless. Bournemouth nil, QPR nil. If there was ever a game you wouldn't expect to be nil nil. This would be it, because both teams are very handy going forwards, Justin. Uh, final thing I've got to say about this game is Jason, Tind- Jason Tindall's voice doesn't match his face. <laughs> it looks like someone else is speaking while his mouth is moving. I've, and not, they, I've not considered that ever. Never next, time, next time he does an interview, watch it, I'm telling you. It's it, very weird. I was going to say, I watched an interview of him this morning and it just <laughs> never entered my mind. It just instantly stood out to me. He's got a... His voice does not match his face. Um, and Middlesbrough nil, Reading nil. This was a shit game. One shot on target. <laughs> Nothing else to say about it, really. Uh, let's talk about who knows wins, Justin. This is our weekly league where you can win money from guessing the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. All you need to do is download the Who Knows Wins app and join our league. If you guess the most correct results out of the games in the championship each weekend, uh, you will win loads of cash. It costs £2 center, and the more people involved, the bigger the prize. So get your mates involved. This jackpot this week was £271 pounds and it was split between three people hugh roberts nick m 1969 and paul mac 1982 so they got 90 quid each it's worth pointing out though they only got four results right Mm. so if you were to get five results in this case then you would have walked away with 270 pounds from just a couple of quid so get involved Uh, justin we both got two correct results i think the message there is must do better uh, but we've got midweek games coming up so make sure you all join in before tuesday the games this week are bristol city borough just in which way you gone uh bristol city i've gone draw coventry swansea mm, i've gone draw i've gone swansea huddersfield derby i've gone huddersfield i've gone huddersfield as well uh millwall luton millwall i've gone luton that, that See, one's the hardest one to call. I know we've discussed Luton a bit, but this is one of them games where you think this this is this will give them a bit of you know where they are in the league this season because yeah, you know, it, it'll be a good one. That I know what you mean. Uh, Cardiff, Bournemouth, Cardiff. I've gone draw, and Watford, Blackburn. I've gone draw. I've gone Watford. Have we agreed on any? Oh, we agreed on Huddersfield, didn't mm. we? But very divisive this week. Very interested to see who comes out the better of us two. Uh, there's a link to our Who Knows Wins League in the description of this podcast. So make sure you join. And uh, yeah, let's see if, who can win a load of money this week. Right, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. Now, uh, the news from this past week in English football, Justin, has been dominated by Project Big Picture. Annoyingly, the news of that came out after we released our show on Sunday. But there you go. That's the joy of podcasting for you. Uh, 
they since been rejected by Premier League clubs, despite rousing support from every championship club who spoke about it prior to it being scrapped. From a championship perspective, it would have meant two fewer teams in the Premier League, um, no League Cup a Premier League team taking part in the playoffs and most significantly, a big financial package to help clubs recover from the coronavirus pandemic. And there would have been a share of the TV money from the top flight given to EFL clubs. Uh, there were other things as well, but we haven't got that long. Justin, <laughs> what were your thoughts on the plans? Um, I was quite frustrated with the plans to begin with. Um, I think there are a lot of good things. Well, not good things, but there are, there are things in it that are worth a discussion. And I think that, that the main point we should take away is it opens up a discussion for some sort some form of so uh, some sort of reform. Um, but first impressions were it's just elite opportunism from the top six teams. You know, the first draft was in 2017. Rick Parry's got former involvement in Liverpool, and they're one of the teams involved. Um, it's it doesn't it doesn't strike well with me that the clubs are going down this route. Or wanting to go down this route, it it creates a bigger gap in the Premier League. You got teams like Leeds and Leicester, who, well, Leicester, you know, now and Leeds possibly in the future, are one of those are those teams that could break into the top six. This would eliminate that, and um, for me, that ambition of getting into the Premier League means you're just part of this mini league up to ninth place. What's the point? Well, discussions are now underway for a bailout for EFL clubs. It's as Preston advisor Peter Risdale says several championship clubs could fold by Christmas unless they get funding, which I think is the main thing here, isn't it? You could talk about everything with Project Big Picture, but the money and bailing these clubs out is the most important thing. In more cheerful news, Justin, a parliamentary debate will take place next month on whether to let fans back in stadiums. It's after a petition calling for that to happen got more than the required 100,000 signatures. I think it got 200,000 or something like that in the end, didn't it? Uh, This comes as Norwich announced they were letting fans into Carrow Road to watch the uh, Rotherham game on a big screen TV. So you can have people in a stadium to watch a big screen television, but not to watch a match. It doesn't make any it, sense. It's so stupid. It is so stupid. And I heard Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary, uh, <laughs> giving his excuse for why people were let into, uh, what was it? It was a theatre in London, wasn't it? Yeah, theatre the in London. I can't remember which one. Something like that. Yeah. People were let in there. There wasn't much social distancing going on. And I can't remember his excuse, but it was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. It's something to do with the science behind it. And it's like, they can't... Also, when going into pubs, they say, there's no science behind the virus spreading when you're in a pub. Stop talking shit. Yeah. I could not put it better myself, Justin. We've said plenty on this. And this needs to be sorted out. It's annoying that the debate isn't going to be till next month because we need fans in backing rounds as soon as possible, especially lower down the EFL. Uh, And the final bit of news, Saturday the 3rd of October was the wettest day since records began uh, in 1891. The Met Office says downpours on the day after Storm Alex saw an average of one and a quarter inches of rain across the UK. Um, I can't remember what I was doing on the 3rd of October, but I don't remember it being particularly wet. it's, it's It's a random day, but it's pretty much been raining since we had that heat wave in April, so... Yeah, it's all merged for me. I can't remember. <laughs> That's true. All the all yeah. the days just merge into one now. As mentioned, we're not doing transfers in this episode. We'll cover them in a special transfer roundup episode, which is out on Monday. Right, time for some polls, Justin. At the Ooh. start of the show, we asked you 
three questions, three very interesting questions that we wanted to get your thoughts on. The first question was this, which of these four new signings will have the best season in the championship? Harvey Elliott, Anthony Knockyart, Patrick Roberts or Harry Wilson? Which one out of those would you have gone for, Justin? It's Knockyart and Hewton. Knockyart all day. Harry Wilson came out on top. He got more than half the vote with 53%. Uh, Anthony Nokiart got 32%. Harvey Elliott got 9%. Patrick Roberts got 6%. Which of these three will turn out to be the best signing in the Premier League? Said Benrahma, Carlin Grant or Joe Roden? That's a difficult one. Mm. The thing that's going to let down Benrahma for me is the fact that he's gone to West Ham. So I'm going to say Carlin Grant. I would say Benrahma. Just because, well, I've said plenty of times, I think he is capable of playing for one of the big six teams. Um, and the fact that he has gone to West Ham is surprising because I think he should have gone to a club higher up the food chain. But it's, it's at the same winger, time... It's a winger graveyard at West Ham. There's plenty of players who have gone to West Ham and ended up yeah. being a graveyard, really, haven't they? Um, but I think Ben Rama, because he will be a big fish in a small pond, if you know what I mean. I think he'll, he'll be an, end up being a fantastic signing for West Ham. And uh, which version of The Office is better, the UK or the US? Now, you're very firmly in the US camp, aren't you? I'm very firmly in the UK camp. Um, I haven't watched all of The US Office. I've only seen a few episodes, but I haven't been too impressed so no, far. Yeah, the first series of The US Office is a bit meh, but the second one, you know, they you know, the wings spread and they just they just fly with it. It is... So funny and so much more funnier than um, the UK version. The UK version is far too dry for me, which is rich coming I, from me. I could not, <laughs> I could not disagree more. The UK office is miles ahead for me. In, in fairness, I have only watched a few episodes of the US office from outside of series series one, so maybe I've not given it its full credit yes, yet. Um, either way, uh, UK office got seventy three percent to the US's twenty seven percent. I don't understand these polls because <laughs> I just I don't get them also who won who was the top of the Ben Rama poll uh, Ben Rama did I do the results for that I didn't I don't do think that. you did no, uh, no the uh, Ben Rama poll 63% said Ben Rama 14% said Carlin Grant 23% said Joe Roden so okay. firmly in the Ben Rama camp it's, point, it's worth pointing out Carlin Grant's the only one with Premier League experience in those three so good point uh, but we will talk about that in the transfer round okay. on Monday Justin right now it's time for this hi Simon Grayson here So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Rich Ferraro from the Forest Ramble and Carlo van der Bortering from the Barnsley Podcast Red Report. Chaps, only one team has managed to defeat Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight so far this season. Are you confident you'll be able to win? Give it a go. (laughs) Not not, not used to winning this season. (laughs) Carlo is shaking his head furiously. Uh, So I'm going to ask the chaps here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name eight clubs beginning with the letter B who have been in the championship and Justin would say Brentford, that's one down. And Rich would say Blackburn, that's another down. But if Carlo would say Southampton, then he'd be out. So all you need to do, chaps, is give me eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Is that easy? We'll give it a go. 
Lovely. <laughs> Gents, I thought this was only fitting because we have a Derby fan and a Forest fan here. This week, I want you to name me the eight clubs who have spent the most years in the Championship since it was rebranded in 2004. Derby are first with 16 seasons in the Championship. Who are the next eight? Justin, we'll go to you first. Current Championship teams, right? No, ever. Since okay. 2004. All the teams who have been in the Championship the longest. Justin, a team, please. Well, I'll go with Forest. That's the easy one, isn't it? Forest are there. They've been in the championship for 14 seasons. Rich, you can go next. Oh, he's stolen me thunder, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> oh, this is this is a this is a tough cookie. This one. Um, let's go for Blackburn. Blackburn are not on there. No, I don't know how long they were in there because I haven't written that down. But Rich is out because Blackburn were not in the championship for that long. Uh, Carlo, can you name me a team that's been in the championship for a long old time? Tricky one, this. I know if you talk second tier, I think Barnsley spend the most time in the second tier. So I will go for Barnsley. Barnsley are also not on there. That means it's down to Justin, who is once again having to uh, fight the flames on his own. Uh, Justin, can All you right. name me seven different clubs who have been in the championship <laughs> the longest? To try and sweep the board. It's fitting that there's a Derby Forest and a Barnsley fan, given that we've got two wins between us all season, and then we completely falter here. Um, oh, Ips- yeah. uh, Ipswich, Ipswich Town. Ipswich are on there. They are the next longest after Derby with 15 seasons. Another one, please, uh, Justin. Preston. Preston are eighth. They've got 13 okay. seasons. So that's the that's the line you've got to be above. <laughs> 13. Um, I'm trying to think when Burnley got promoted. Mm, I'm not going to go with Burnley. I'm going to go with Reading. Reading on there. They've had 14 seasons. All you need, Justin, is four more. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is stressful. A lot of anxiety is building up here. Borough. No. Middles- no, no, Middles- no, 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 no. No, you said it. I've got to take no, the first no, no, answer, no. I'm afraid. Middlesbrough <laughs> are not on there. Lads, you have failed to win Simon Grace and take for late. How does that feel? Oh, it feels so good, like... Yeah, this is, this is just a reflection, like you said, Ryan, of our seasons as fans. <laughs> The other clubs you could have had were Cardiff. They've been in the Championship for 15 seasons, same as Ipswich. Uh, QPR, 14. And Leeds were 13. So you were close. Actually, you weren't close at all, were you? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Once again, someone has fallen foul of Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Will anyone ever beat us again? Who knows? Check back next week when we'll have another set of lads fighting to try and prove me wrong. Well, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Lads, thank you for joining us today. Rich Ferraro from Forest Ramble, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Carlo van der Waltering from Red Report, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks lads. (laughs) we'll be back again on monday when we have our transfer roundup to go through all the moves from deadline day and then we've got midweek games this week as well so there'll be an episode out on thursday too this has been the second tier podcast i'm ryan dilks i've been justin peach thank you for listening (laughs) 